0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am stoked to have you here. Today, I am talking to Matt Oram from Fidelity Guitars. If you are not familiar with Fidelity Guitars already, I suggest sliding over to their Instagram very briefly and just kind of giving it a browse to familiarize yourself with some of the things that we're talking about. It's not going to take you very long, so just go over to Fidelity Guitar's Instagram. It'll be in the show notes of the podcast, and it'll give some context for some of the stuff that we are talking about on this episode. I don't have too much business to take care of at the top here, but I did want to make mention that the winners of the Maris LVX giveaway have been selected. Jeremy Ryan Music was announced on Instagram, and the Erratic Pedal Adventures was the Patreon winner. Those were both selected via random.org's random number generator. Thank you to everyone who participated in that, and thank you to Maris for supplying those pedals and making incredible stuff and supporting this show. Big shout out to the Maris team over there. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mr. Matthew Oram of Fidelity Guitars. Here we go. welcome back to another episode of the tone mob podcast the show about guitar stuff occasionally sometimes i'm your host blake wyland with me today i have matt oram from the amazing fidelity guitars what's going on dude
1: oh that's very kind yeah hello um no what's going on it's it's friday here it's friday evening it's all good i'm in a happy place
0: you're winding down you got some guinness you're ready to go (laughs) It's
1: it's actually the fake brew dog guinness which is i kind of feel bad about i feel like i'm taking money away from guinness but they, they probably don't care
0: i think they're doing okay <laughs> I, I i have a sense that that guinness is probably probably doing a little better yeah. than Brewdog even they're, so uh
1: don't say that i've got i bought shares in them like years ago and i'm still waiting for that that big payday you <laughs> know
0: i i saw that too and I, I almost did myself and i was like i don't know
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think a, you made the wise decision. <laughs> They've done very well out of my money. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm really pleased for them.
0: Yeah. They're, they're a cool company, though, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I've been wanting to get you on. Geez, I feel like it's been like three years we've been kind of going back and forth to, uh, to try to make this happen. And Yeah, uh, maybe it's been like three or a four.
1: It's a, yeah. Up to, I use my like inbox, my email inbox is like my to-do list. Like So I'm really fussy about it so if something's in there it's because it i need to do something about it it doesn't stuff doesn't pile up in there. there's only ever like 10 or 20 emails in there and one of them right at the bottom is send blake a guitar <laughs> has been since 2018 like so like, let's have apologies for that i think that's my fault no
0: hey it's it things have been crazy but i mean it seems like for you it's because things have uh, taken off pretty pretty steadily it's i think when you first reached out it was uh it was a, a little bit of an early stage thing, if I'm reading the room right. But yeah, I think, very I think quickly that quickly got a got quite a wait list.
1: Yeah, that would that would, be, would have been like year two. So, so at that point, I was really only sort of just starting to build the guitars in their entirety and sort of starting to get sort of production models together and, and, and things like that. And sort of actually formalize some designs or some actual models for for a range, which mm-hmm. which feels like a, a long time ago now. And yeah, it's been thankfully been been fairly consistently busy since then in, in the context of one guy covered in dust in a <laughs> <laughs> former industrial meat store in the middle of the field <laughs> like, um, building guitars one at a time. It's only, um, it's, it's only scales to a certain level. But in that <laughs> in that small context, yeah, it's going all right. Very
0: good, very good. Well, I want to get your whole story. I, I You guys, I first was introduced to your work from Joe Branton, and uh, I was just like... I got to know, I got to know more, you know, Joe's a a mutual friend and he's a great guy and a champion of, of your work. And, uh, I, I tend to, I tend to fall in line when he's vouching for something. I usually end up liking it too. So, uh, I've been really excited to check this guitar out and, um, I just want to know more about you though. Like, what's the story? You make great guitars, you make unique guitars, but you didn't just wake up one day and start doing that. So, what's your background and how did you get here?
1: Kinda, of, but um, but in a roundabout way, yeah. Uh, and yeah, thanks to Joe as well. Joe, Joe picked up on what I was doing, like through prototypes that I was posting on Instagram in 2017, and sort of latched onto it. And one of the first people I, I talked to about anything. So, yeah, I owe, I owe a big, big thank you. But um, yeah, uh, I kind of came at it from with no no experience in woodwork or or luthery at all so all i all i'd done prior to starting the business was since i was a kid sort of modding pickups and pulling bits out of guitars and hacking bits off and stuff like that mm-hmm. um prior to sort of starting the company in january 2017 so six six and a bit years ago um i'd had a, a decade in in marketing uh, so the, and, and not even like the nice like fancy advertising marketing where you come up with cool pictures it was data marketing so like planning <laughs> planning um, okay. ad campaigns and while it was still legal like buying people's data and and working out how best to <laughs> force things down <laughs> your throat <laughs> um, but I was um I was, I was pretty good at it and it wasn't a, a, an awful job like the people I worked with at the agency I was at were, were great and um, and it was relatively interesting but uh, it got to the point where it was just making me um, pretty sad every day. Um, <laughs> and so it must have been like 2015. Then I mean, looking back on it, it, it felt like sort of some anxiety creeping. in. I think uh, in, it was probably more like a, a slow motion breakdown. <laughs> but, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> so it basically went from being sort of the guy in the company that would go out and talk tour, like, to people and like sales pitch and stuff like that and being like the the smooth guy to so suddenly just having a complete inability to speak to anyone in public even if it was my friends <laughs> or like people I'd known for for years so which was which was like a weird hard thing to take but I, I I think the problem was that I put so much energy into this thing like every day that you get to the end of it and you go no it doesn't make me happy so mm. I, I handed in my notice start of 2016 uh, and I was on like 12, 12 months notice so I had a year where um, I still had to work hard but I knew I wasn't going to get fired <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I quit. Um, had a year where I basically decided uh, what, what do I want to do um, and when I was at university I'd been studying uh, aerospace engineering so my dad was a uh, aerospace engineer so he fixed planes he did that straight at school um, and I'd always wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid so I'd had a scholarship from the RAF to, to learn to fly so I learned to fly before I could Drive. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, <laughs> which was which was cool, just pretty cool for sixteen-year-old, um, and I've never flown since. I should <laughs> say. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, so that was kind of where I was set. Couldn't become a fighter pilot because I'm a hay fever, which is the most ridiculous. Hay <laughs> hey fever. Yeah, hay fever. So I think it worried you sneeze and you like you press the missile. <laughs> <a> release button, <laughs> <laughs> and there's like all an right, international maybe, incident, okay. so yeah, I can kind of understand uh, uh, it. Right, it, it maybe right, fair yeah. enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what I was set to go down, and then, um, and started studying aerospace engineering at university, and um, got to the like, final year of that, uh, and, and went through some family stuff. My mum died around then as well, and I kind of just thought, nah. I'm not interested in this, went off and went snowboarding for a year. So so that's part of my background is sort of failed, failed engineer. <laughs> and um <laughs> and then the other part is sort of all through my twenties and, and stuff. I was in um sort of bands where I was living in, in Bath in the southwest of England at the time. Um mainly sort of playing bass with them. And then when that band fell apart, sort of playing guitar and, and singing with the the people sort of the remnants of that put together another band. Uh, and that kind of did okay and we got a bit of interest but didn't really sort of go anywhere with it so I, I just it's like one of the things that made me happy when i got to this point where i was sort of coming out of this career and just engineering but still despite not following that through it's still something i've got an aptitude for and then and music uh, and in particular guitars which was just obsessed with in a, in a gear node kind of way uh, and figured i'd smash those together and and learn how to to build guitars so i had a this year whereas in this notice period where I basically just rented the corner of a barn just outside of town and bought, there's the first thing I bought was a CNC, like a little X-carve, like you know the, the hobby CNCs, which I still mm-hmm. got and it's still one of the main tools that's been upgraded a million times since then. Uh, and it was like, I can draw, I can use computers, I can use this to like kind of get me over the first hurdle and then work out the rest of it from there. Uh, and that's kind of how it went. End of that year, moved into a, a proper workshop and kind of just kept, kept going from that so
0: you you went you, you started i'm assuming you know you took that tinkering background and the engineering background and started working on the prototypes but you pretty much knew at the end of the year this is going to be the thing so i've got to figure out a way to make that work did that pressure help ac- accelerate that because that's pretty fast really yeah. for any small <laughs> business to be able to to convert to that that quickly uh did that pressure like help or was it stressful would you recommend it would you recommend a different path like look viewpoint <laughs> looking back
1: I, I the one thing i would definitely recommend i think would apply to anyone is ask people for help <laughs> like mm-hmm. ask <laughs> ask actual luthiers and people who already make guitars how to do it rather than trying to like being ashamed of thinking oh no they're going to think i'm just another some Idiot guy that's like doesn't know what he's talking about and being like afraid of reaching out to, to the people that you've seen in the magazines or whatever. Because the truth is that they've all been there at some point, um, and mm-hmm. that would have helped avoid <laughs> a lot of mistakes. Um, but in terms of the speed of it, I, I'm kind of the kind the kind of person where if I've got a safety net, um, then I and I know it's there, then I won't commit. So I have to get rid of that and kind of go in with both feet and uh, and and go for it. Uh, through through thick and thin, and through the ups and downs, and that uh, to, to see through, and that's kind of that's kind of how I tackled it.
0: That's interesting. That's usually like the opposite of what I. That's it is the opposite of what I did, and it's what, the opposite of what I usually suggest. Because for me, uh, having that, you know, that safety net of the day job there while I'm trying to build a thing, knowing that I'm going to screw up a whole bunch of stuff, just made those mistakes. It, it a made me. More willing to make them and learn from them, and B, it also allowed me to not stress about it so much. It's like, well, the family can still eat even if I completely screw this up. You know, the worst case, it's going to cost money, time, a headache, and set me back however far potentially. Uh, but it it allowed me the the ability or the mental ability, I guess, to to make that those leaps without being so scared. But there's something to be said for that's why I asked about the pressure. Like some people thrive under that. I know a few friends who have also like, no, nope, I've got to have that pressure to really push me to do it or I just won't really do it.
1: Yeah, I think your your approach is definitely the sensible one, <laughs> particularly from <laughs> the perspective of being solvent <laughs> and like paying the rent. Um, but yeah, I, do, I don't tend to like crack under pressure. It tends to push me on to, to do something, like to follow through and do something better, but it doesn't necessarily make me <laughs> particularly happy through that process <laughs> of having sort of come out come out the other side of it but that said like I don't uh, resent any of that I really enjoy turning up every day and even if it's a difficult day there's, there's never a day where I don't want to show up and sort of work through that and and see what comes out of it at the end because I really I really enjoy it so that kind of makes it all fine like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it gets quite hard because I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the, the the day while I'm at work. So that's and that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like if I can wake up in the morning and there's there's a sufficient opportunity scope of opportunity for me to just enjoy the day, then that's OK. <laughs> I've got kind of to come to a fairly zen place with it.
0: I like that. That's really good. And, and i waking up and not not dreading the day is highly underrated I think even yeah. if you know you have a lot of projects if you know you've got a lot to do and it's never really going to end you're always going to be working as long as that you're okay with that I think that's so much so preferable and I understand that not everybody's wired for that and it's not a critique against anybody who would rather just wake up punch a clock leave work at work I I've said it a million times on the show my dad's wired that way mm. he would way rather do that. And he's like, I don't have to think about work when I'm not at work, which I totally understand because I'm always thinking about work. I'm never not thinking about work, but I don't wake up on Monday like I used to and go, I can't believe in my brain. I would go like, I, I'm i going to have to do this for another 35, 40 years and go to this stupid. <laughs> <"Dah,"> and just, <laughs> I wasn't even able to have as good of an attitude about it as I should have just because I'm my brain is wired like this crazy person and uh so just having that uh having that i I appreciate it more now what i had you know back then than i did at the time just because my mental uh state was not willing to accept those those things for some reason
1: no i totally Uh, get that and i and i do i do there are days where you get jealous just i wish i could just do <laughs> like a thing a standard thing today where i just sort of roll through it and then i'll go over the end of it and then that's the end of it um mm-hmm. but i know that that's that's those the kind of fleeting on the days where everything feels a bit much and actually that wouldn't i'm the same as you that wouldn't make me happy if that was actually my sort of reality again
0: well we've both done that already yeah you know so i actually have i have actual nightmares sometimes where i'm, I'm back in the old the old space and i'm going how no what happened everything was going okay Where, how am I back? Why am I back here? What's going (laughs) on? (laughs) But I make it sound, when I say that, I make it sound like it was this horrid, absolutely, you know, hellish place to work. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just. I totally
1: get that. I think the people I was working with at the time in in my career would, would have not, not have seen the way I'm describing it at all. That would seem like foreign to them Mm -hmm. um it's in in terms of them thinking that oh you looked you know you're really happy with it and you said it's yeah it's um it's not the case but
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's hard to describe to to people who don't understand it fortunately most of the people i get on this show are a little more leaning the same direction i am so it i'm hoping it makes sense to everybody that's listening but yeah Yeah, i I, I always try to be oh go ahead
1: a, I'm a time Mob fanboy, so I have got—I <laughs> have, have been able to pull out themes across <laughs> however many years of episodes. And there seems it's a pretty common theme, isn't it? That 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 backstory of how people get to a job in the in the music industry is—you hit a, a point where, in in theory, everything looks fine in the job that you're doing that other people would be potentially envious of, of having, and it just. Yeah, or well, for whatever reason, you have to make a change.
0: <laughs> well, even we were talking, uh, well, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate that you've spent all that time with the show. I wasn't aware of that. But um, uh, we were talking about the Gina Gleason episode, and even her where she, you know, I think a lot of people would have looked at that Cirque du Soleil gig. If people haven't listened to that episode. You definitely should go back a couple and listen to that one. But uh, she, was, she very much was like, it was a jobby job, like punch the clock job job yes, I'm playing guitar, but upside down, (laughs) upside down (laughs) while being launched out of various things. But, (laughs) but it was a, you know, it was a punch the clock type of job, which I don't think exists that, uh, I mean, I could be wrong about this. I don't think that's a super common thing to experience while playing as a musician is a, is a job like that. And I think a lot of people probably would be envious of that position, but she was like, I I can't create in the way I want. And Hmm. I really related to that. You know, even though she had a cool job, undoubtedly, that was a cool job. But I did understand what she meant when she said, I got to I got to move on. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your guitars themselves a little bit here. Uh, the I mean, where are you coming up with these shapes? What's inspiring you? <laughs> I've probably butchered it when I've ex- tried to explain it to other people. I've been like, well, it's kind of like the Italian stuff, but not really. Uh, I don't know where these shapes and these concepts are what, what's the root in, of all this? Where are you coming up with these things?
1: Yeah, Italians are a good a good shout, and so East East European stuff as well. sort of 60s, 70s. I think the 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 sentence I try and I've used for a long time to try and encapsulate it is: if you went up into into your your granddad's like attic and you found a dusty old case up there and you dug it out and you opened it and it's this brand that no one has seen for 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. Play, that's that's kind of the idea that's what I meant to be like but to look like that but to play like a a modern sort of well made well made guitar mm-hmm. um so yeah the um the originally basically where i started was just taking all my 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 own personal favorite guitars so things like um like Rickenbacker three thirties or telly's s g s uh and then things like bobcats and and sort of japanese uh and American catalog guitars and just drawing boxes like i just measured. Like how wide is it across the hips, how wide is it across the shoulders, layer these boxes up and start drawing curves inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um and you go through hundreds of iterations of horrible <laughs> trash. <laughs> and then eventually you get to the point where you can you can live with it and then you start to like refine it down and then from there and come up with a pick shape and put pickups in place and, and things like that. And that's all it is. It's just me drawing, sort of measuring up what, what do the basic proportions have to be, what do people expect in terms of the size. Of the instrument and then just draw draw lines inside that and eventually something that that appeals to to my eye and and kind of is loosely aligned with those those guitars that i love kind of appears out of that so that that's where the first shapes came from that was the the double standard was the the first one which is sort of the the double double cut one i think the, the baritone that you've got there at the moment is is that outline mm-hmm. um, and then the the one that's the most popular the stella rossa that was actually came from the guy who wants my pickups and Mark Ransley at Mojo pickups in Halifax over here in, in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me if I could build uh, effectively a replica of a, an old Stella Japonica. So sixties um, Japanese catalog guitar. That's basically impossible to, to get hold of. Um, and he sent it to me. And it's basically like someone tried to make a Telecaster like Friday, late Friday afternoon in the factory. They were just like, <laughs> That'll do. And just like pushed it through the bandsaw, and it's, like, it's almost completely rectangular, um, and not not like particularly refined in any way. It was, like, I, I, it's like that's cool. I, I like it, but can I tweak it and and come up with my own sort of twist on it? And it had these weird pickups that were in a huge kind of casing. And so we did a, a kind of homage to that uh, with like the the pickups around that fit over a P90 and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that ended up being being sort of the the one the the one that I like the most as well, and the one that that, that people tend to. To buy the most,' strange how little things come up come out of just suggestions like that, and just saying yes to, to stuff and you don't know where it'll go.-hmm.
2: Hi, I'm Vincent and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mer- Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800-hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations and 33 banks? And something along the lines of, the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X. And all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, all now right, can I have my talkie?
0: How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label, but these days you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services, and it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. So when you are trying these things, have you ever had an experience where you spent a bunch of time drawing this up and you've spent a bunch of time with it on paper you get it out and you finally get it to where it's an actual prototype or an actual body sitting in front of you. And it's like, this is not, this is not how it looks on the paper <laughs> <bad>. because yeah. <laughs> I've seen so many guitars. Um, and not just guitars, but like lots of different things where you see it in, uh, probably the easiest one for Americans to to imagine is the first time I saw the four door Jeeps that came out a few years ago was on a screen. And I thought that looks horrible. <laughs> like that looks so dumb. Why would they do that? I know functionally why they would do it, but it looks really bad. And then I saw it in person. and like, Okay. This is a completely different thing. So it's almost the inverse of what I'm talking about. Like, have you ever had the paper not meet up with the reality?
1: Yeah. I think, I, th- I think in the early days in particular, if I look back at, a lot, a lot of those prototypes now, and, and think about how they sort of came out at the time. How they looked on the, the page or on the paper is not <laughs> how they looked in real life. But I think a lot of that was down to uh, a distinct lack of ability <laughs> at that stage okay. to, to realize <laughs> that, that, that gonna kind of vision, that design, and turn that into an actual, uh, an actual thing. It doesn't happen so much anymore, um, because I don't tend to sort of deviate too much generally outside of four or five, uh, sort of main platforms effectively i guess you'd call them shapes Mm -hmm. um that i know i'm pretty happy with so the things that can go wrong within that are more limited uh but there's still scope for little things in terms of pick card combinations or color combinations or pickups and things and it just doesn't look quite right but what i try and sort of triage that early on when people are coming up with ideas and then through the process if i can see something's going in the wrong direction it's kind of like hey that might not <laughs> quite be how you think it's going to be. How about I right. do this instead and kind of problem solve on on the fly. So it, it doesn't happen too often anymore, but it definitely did in the early days. Right. Right. That makes sense. So you had anything as you
0: came along in this process, like I know you, you know, you grew up playing in bands and you were surrounded by music. And I'm not sure how deep into that you got as a, a career or anything before you pivoted back to what you were originally doing. But have you had any processes or things come up during this process of starting this company that have been surprising to you, or exciting, or particularly just stand out in your mind as as like a moment?
1: Oh, in terms of some, like in terms of people getting involved with it, or in terms of the actual Pe- people or,
0: or things that have happened, anything really, anything that just like when I when I make that or put that out there, like what's the first thing that pops into your head?
1: I am just surprised to still be doing this six and a half
0: years later. <laughs> that's
1: um, that's su- constantly surprising. I th- I think realizing, uh, because c- when I was growing up, so I was so the music I was into, I was you know the enemy, the New Musical Express, the the magazine. Mm-hmm. There was a big deal when I was growing up. It was still like you had to pay for it and stuff, and religiously would buy it like, every week when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, it became this free rubbish thing but back then it was it was like a bible uh and the bands and they were in that uh and the guitars they were playing and stuff that that, that was like that was my religion that was like everything to me and then so to realize after sort of reaching out to people in those bands or new bands whatever, reaching out to other luthiers and speaking to them as well how normal <laughs> everyone <laughs> is and how basically everyone's just kind of winging it and and getting through and eventually something cool happens to them and it may be or maybe it doesn't, but sometimes something cool happens and it takes them to another level and then they become these kind of figures that you see you see sort of in the media or online or whatever. That's that's been a nice surprise to find uh those people relatable and to start sort of relationships with those people when it when I went into this thinking I'm just this data guy, <laughs> guy <laughs> kind of pretending to be a <laughs> luthier. Like, why would anyone speak to me? And then you'd realize that actually you've got quite a lot in common with these people that you, you hold in quite high regard. That's been a nice surprise and, and still is. Yeah,
0: that I relate to you big time on. I, you know, I, Coming in, into this, I feel like I, I was just so obsessed with gear I wanted to just get in there. I want to get in there. I don't know what I'm <laughs> going to do when I get in there, but I want to get in there. And and getting to meet some you know, people that I consider musical heroes and having them, you know, my wife look at me while we're doing it and like walk away from some of these situations. She's like, they're just like you. I'm like, I know. Isn't it great? This is fantastic. <laughs> I can't <laughs> tell whether that of was finished with
1: disappointment or excitement. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think for her, she's. Just, I think honestly, she was as surprised as I was to find <laughs> that like these people we've grew up, you know, just obsessed with their music. Both of us, and and it, it's happened a number of times at this point. So I can't even point to, you know, just one or two examples. Um, and she's just like, it's so crazy, like how you guys can just sit down and start talking about checking on <laughs> nitro finishes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's wonderful. It's great.
1: <laughs> so I have a dream <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, speaking of finishes, you know, you have, uh, an approach to, you know, I know relicking is a, a hot button topic in the guitar industry because, because everything apparently has to be a hot button topic these days, but, <laughs> but that you've taken to this like really quickly. I, I feel like, some relics I, I've seen, even from really established brands and companies. I'm like, ah, it looks like you just kind of hit it with keys. And and <laughs> no, I've been to a bad couple place companies where yeah. that's what that's <laughs> that is what they do. And I I actually used to do that a little bit. Uh, my dad finished cabinets for a living when I was a kid. And sometimes people want a distressed look. He's like, and he literally had a bar, a metal bar with a bunch of old keys on it, and he's like, Go hit that door. <laughs> I'm like Okay, so I kind of understood the relicing, but you, you yours is believable. Like, I, oh, I thank you.
1: Man. It, it I mean, has that, that vibe. Means a lot. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it has that vibe that you're talking about. Like, oh, go up in the attic and open this case. It looks like a guitar that's actually been played really aggressively, not you know,
1: purposely done this way. Yeah. yeah. How long did it take to develop that? Yes, yeah, it's, it's constantly evolving. There's there's stuff even within the last year where I look back and I go, mm, it could have been better so it's, it's just it's, a lot of it's just practice i think the, the the thing that i learned about sort of three or four years ago that moved it on a level was never sand anything like that's not that's not how a guitar naturally ages so oh right that's, that's like when a it's when you can see like a, a bad, i'm not going to accuse any brands or anything but when you see like a bad relic you can always see that's it been sanded and, it, mm-hmm. and it's like it's really obvious always particularly you can see it's been like disc sanded and there's still little swirlies in it and stuff like it just doesn't work so it's it's literally getting the guitars to like as perfect as i can get them um and i'm not making them perfect all the way through the process because I, I purposely don't fill as aggressively as i could and stuff like that to make sure there's like it will help me create flaws at the end of the process mm-hmm. um, but you mean like grain filler Is yeah so about? i, do, I, I mm-hmm. tend to do so sort of more primer and less grain filler which helps me find Flaws at the end that i can start to sort of work around to make it more believable um but then most of it i just get it's perfect glossy flat as i can and then use a basically a stanley knife blade a craft knife blade and and mm. a rock <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's good old rock the road outside our workshop there's a an animal feed station like next door like a depot and there's constantly trucks going past the front of our workshop and keep breaking up the road and bits of rock fly out and hit the workshop every day so i just go out and scoop those up bring them into the workshop and then start (laughs) start because they're like concrete with loads of little bits of rubble in them and stuff like little stones so they've got really good weird edges on them and stuff things that you can make really the key is like not to be don't sound anything and don't do anything uniform like as soon as it starts to look like a pattern, like your brain just wants to make patterns. It wants to do lines and squares and stuff. And mm-hmm. making it as random as possible is is kind of the the key thing. Okay. So yeah, that's that's basically it. It's scraping during the process of flattening it. So I'm already relicing it as I'm going up through the grits, through like six hundred, eight hundred thousand. Introduce different bits of like chips here, like. Rub out bits here and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Rub a load of dirt into it. This part of it, as you're going through the process of flattening it out, and then right at the end, like then make it just get the extra dirt and get the crazing in and stuff like that. So it's it's a it's a pretty involved process, but it's the bit that I enjoy the most because that's kind of the, the the art part of it for me. So the bit where I feel like an artist is when I'm designing them, uh, and then right at the end of the finishing process. Um, and and assembling them. They're the bits that really get me going. Mm -hmm.
0: Have you ever you know, throwing a rock at something and then hat-
1: went, Ooh, oh.
0: that's not the, Oh, that's not, no, that doesn't yeah, look right. That a, looks like I threw a world. rock at it.
1: Into yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. the corner of it breaks off. And,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah that, it happens. <laughs> that's an extremely heavy relic because yeah, it's yeah, broken yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to, um, <laughs> you have to go cautiously and work your way up. It's very easy to, to go from a, a light to a medium relic. By accident, quite quickly, but
0: yeah, especially when you're using this uh, natural, found, organic material. Yeah, exactly. uh, Just (laughs) pelting your
1: shop every day.
0: Glad to know that your roads are in the same j ours are,
1: though. That's oh, man, it's a mess. That's a good road. That's that's smooth <laughs> as glass compared to most of the roads around our way. The, the workshop's out in the middle of what we call it, the Fens, so it's like a, a wetland kind of flat area in, in Cambridgeshire, around where I live in, in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the roads are just complete trash. <laughs> they go through a lot of tires, commuting to the workshop every day. but day. Um, okay. oh, I'm not, not going to go into pothole chat. I think that's probably beneath us both but... it's not beneath me <laughs> <laughs> That's 90% <of> your day.
0: <laughs> no i i actually i mean this is so boring but if we're here uh the the roads in oregon i i will say that oregon's got its problems but the roads are a lot of oregonians complain about the roads and i can tell they haven't left the state let's just put it that way yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I'll take you to a place called Tennessee I'll show you some <laughs> roads.
1: i would like to get some tips from you. I, w- I want to do – I haven't spent a huge amount of time in the U.S. since I was a kid and sort of doing family holidays and stuff. I'd like to do a road trip at some point, but I was wondering – maybe I should get tips from you on – I was thinking of the ones to go to to check out the, the worst roads in the U.S., but maybe – The worst roads. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Probably Indiana. <laughs> the roads are pretty gnarly. Tennessee's pretty – it's not like horrible. It's not like you can't drive anywhere, but yeah, the roads in those two places are pretty bad. Florida's kind of weird. Um, yeah, it's hard hard for me to to remember exactly. I've been to a lot of states, but I don't necessarily drive a lot when I go places outside of uh, outside of Tennessee. I've done a lot of driving in Tennessee just because I've gone there quite frequently. But um, I'm picturing yeah. half
1: of your listeners just either nodding along in agreement or, or switching off immediately. Or slow just or, weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or don't you talk about Florida that way. <laughs> Florida is a beautiful place and I
2: love it. It's
0: too sticky for me. That's all I know. <laughs> but uh, you're thinking about coming to the US? Is that something on the horizon?
1: I'd like to. I'd like to do a Nam at, at some point. I think it's, it's obviously a fairly major investment to do that. Getting across from the UK, so I think I'd probably jump on someone else's stand, but yeah, I definitely want to. I mean, most of the guitars go to the US, I think it's probably about 80% or more of the guitars are getting shipped out to various places in the US, but mm-hmm. mainly California and New York, but all, all over the shop. Um, so it would make a lot of sense for the business for me to go out and, and see some people, and also I'd just like to come out and spend a bit more time in your country because I haven't really been there a lot, apart from like I said. Disney world, stuff like that.
0: Right. Yeah. NAMS is a, an interesting one. I, I, you know, I go a little bit, I've gone back and forth on it over the years as far as for brands, whether it's worth it or not, or, and uh, you know, for me, it's always, the calculation is always like, what, where are you at with the company? Where are you trying to go with the company? You know, do you want to increase your presence at dealers? Do you not really care about that? Neither is right or wrong. It's just, what do you want to do? Because it is an investment. The for international people, you know, it's I think a little more valuable than it is sometimes for U.S. brands, because you can come here and get a lot more exposure to the U.S. market that you may not see otherwise. You know, especially for people that are a long ways away, like in Australia, um, Nam can be really a lot more valuable, even though it's harder and more expensive because of those travels. You know, if you were to try to go to Dallas guitar show and you know whatever else the smaller things that pop up here and there in the states, which can be really valuable for people who are already here. I think Nam can can make more sense, but it's always a question of like, is this the most uh, is this the most effective way to spend ten <laughs> thousand <Exactly. laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> spend at
0: least ten thousand dollars Yeah, <laughs> yeah, at least. And for you, I mean, with the travel, it might be even worse. Plus, you're doing guitars, which are a lot you know, that takes a lot to, you got to bring a lot of guitars. You can't so put them in your hand
1: luggage. Yeah. You can't yeah. stuff a load of pedals in a <laughs> carry bag and walk <laughs> through security. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a lot, lot more involved, but that it's not a reason to not do it, but it is, I, I do like to encourage people though. If you do do it, like work the show, like it, it's exhausting, but like be in the booth and be exuberant and be there to like talk to people because I've, talked to a few people that have spent the money done everything had great looking booths and they sat in the corner in the booth on their phone the whole time and then they complained yeah, about sure. how it wasn't worth it i'm like i understand why you want to sit in the corner of your booth on your phone the whole time <laughs> don't get me wrong yeah. but that's not going you're going to you will waste your money if you do
1: that it, so plan on uh hustling <laughs> i appreciate the advice now i've done enough guitar shows over here to, to know that yeah as much mm-hmm. as it's is pain <laughs> it's, it's, it's two days minimum of pain and your ears are going to bleed at the end of it like yeah you have to be on it or why are you there <laughs> like yeah
0: yeah yeah have you the guitar shows that you've done have you gotten a lot out of them or how do you feel about the ones more local to you
1: yeah i think as, as things have gone on and, and i've got more sort of comfortable in my own skin as, as as a luthier it's it's i've got more after them i think early doors it was probably was the guy that was just sort of stood there just, afraid to talk to anyone especially coming off the back of of changing career because i've really lost the ability to speak to anyone in public (laughs) that uh, would do it yeah that's a little bit of a problem but um but yeah no i've kind of got past it now and 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 and, yeah definitely get a a lot more out of it i I really enjoy being there now where i didn't necessarily so much in the past uh, especially as i've built up some more friends in the community as well that um it's it's good even if you're having a slow period sort of on the, the stand or whatever, that there's a ton of people there that I want to talk to and that I like and I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to hanging out with them and stuff like that. So it's, it's not a, it's not a chore anymore. It's, um, it's enjoyable, but it's, none of it's ever, none of it's just anywhere near the scale of Nam. I don't think like the biggest one over here is the, the Birmingham show. So they're in the Midlands in like March time. And that's that's pretty big as far as UK shows go, but I think it's like, mm-hmm. it's one floor and it's maybe a couple of hundred exhibitors. It's, nothing <laughs> compared yeah. to, to you guys. We,
0: I mean, but that's how most shows are here. Really? Like that would be a big show here. Nam is just excessively big. Hmm. You know, it, it's the oldest, largest, and it, and it's every, it's not just guitars, right? It's every musical instrument or music, even very tangential. Like Walmart had people walking around <laughs> there last time, you know, like, well, like buyers
1: yeah. are actually like- Selling stuff. Right?
0: There were people trying to. So Walmart has like the Amazon competitor website that they have, and they were trying to get people to sell on their their platform, which does does make sense. I understand that. Um, but like WordPress was there, you know. Like there's like it's sometimes it's it's like, huh. I guess it does make sense why you're here, but you're not music yeah, yeah. related sure. necessarily. Um, so it's got kind of, there's there's a it's a wide net that Nam cast and I think that's part of why it's so big. Uh, but yeah, something that has a couple hundred booths here—that's that's a pretty big regional show. You know, it's 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 usually very regional. It's like the Northwest, whatever, whatever, or the Dallas Guitar Show, or whatever. But that's a pretty large show. Sounds like it's pretty comparable.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good one. It's it, it's um, it's a guy called Jason who runs it. He does a really good job. It was it was good this year. It was good in the sense that the. That it was like quite low ceiling and like quite it was built up with the booth. So all of the sound kind of got trapped into little channels. So it wasn't quite as <laughs> like soul crushing as it has been in the past. Cause the last <laughs> previously it had been in like an old like town hall style, like almost like warehouse venue with a massive roof and all of the sound, all of the shredding goes up into the mm-hmm. roof and it just rains down on you <laughs> like, relentlessly for eight hours and yeah. Unfortunately the roof on that place burned down, which is sad, but um yeah silver lining <laughs> it's a slightly more appropriate venue now.
0: It it absorbed too many rifts. It couldn't handle it it anymore.
1: It's it's the pure power of rock. (laughs) Let
0: let me pass. (laughs) Just let me die. (laughs) Oh, man. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the gear exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby because... Let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedalboard. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. Well, it's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dance. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossing, I invite you to head over to chaselessaudio.com going to like what you like. but i do want to talk to you specifically uh about this baritone this is a kind of a segue here but i i just want to know how this baritone came to exist so for people who haven't seen it yet uh it's a 28 inch scale baritone with multiple effects built into it uh this is a, one of the craziest guitars I've ever played. How? 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 Oh, how?
1: Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a nice compliment. <laughs> um, how? Why? It was. It was a bad idea, <laughs> <We> just <laughs> insisted on following through to um to, to completion. So it was originally a um a commission from a customer. So a guy rang me up out of the blue. I think he found sort of the website through a, a Google ad. Um, and he was putting together like a synth rig. He had this thing he, he called like the monster or the beast or something <laughs> like surrounded by synths um and oh, i like the sound uh, of this yeah and he was running um, into amps and stuff and he was like i want to he was a guitar player he's like he played a lot of classical guitar and stuff he's like i want a guitar that I can plug into the beast let's call him um mm-hmm. and then sort of manipulate guitar lines and stuff And I want it to be a baritone and that was, that was kind of it that was kind of just the 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 brief uh, and, he wanted, oh, and he wanted some sort of effects manipulation in there as well. So it's like, cool, that sounds that sounds really fun. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. up for that. So we kind of drafted out designs, went through different iterations, stuff, got deposit down, started, and, and then sort of it was in the queue, working through it, sort of working out how to actually accomplish it, and came to the realization over the course of maybe three months that this guy, who was quite a sort of successful retired, <laughs> professional had quite a serious crack cocaine habit, and oh. uh, would, would <laughs> ring me uh, sort of two a.m. <laughs> every couple of days. And some days it would be like, "Man, it's just it's a journey, and it's a process. It's like a it's a new thing. Like take time, work it out. It's going to be amazing." And then other days it would be like, "Where's my?" Guitar. Oh, <laughs> like, where geez. I need a now. Where it? Where's it at? Where's that? Hold on, give me that guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, this is this is quite stressful. So, i mm-hmm. kind of put with that for a, a little while, and then it got to the point where he rang me at like in the middle of the night one Sunday or whatever, and I was just like, nope. Yep. <laughs> this is yep. Like, this we're not, is doing not this. why I'm doing this. Yeah. Nope. R- mm-hmm. So, I rang him back the next day, and I was like, here's your deposit back. Thanks. See you later. Mm-hmm. um But then by that point, I kind of the idea was forms i already started doing the woodwork on it, it was like no i'm gonna finish this because this is this is a cool idea despite the challenging circumstances mm-hmm. um so i finished the bit that i could do which was all the sort of guitar making a guitar part um and then my buddy neil at nrg effects who are down on the, the south coast in england um who i met at a few shows and stuff and we talked about sort of some weird ideas and i was like oh, this guy would be the guy for it, so I sent him down the guitar and I sent him down all the pedals I wanted to go into it. So I bought a, uh, a Ibanez um, like mini delay, uh, so was like mini reverb, analog reverb, um, and a Mr. Mis- sorry, delay, and then a Mr. Black mini reverb. And Neil does a really good like gnarly fuzz, so I was like, you do the fuzz. Uh, and I was like, right, basically you've got to disassemble these pedals, put all of the pots, take all the pots off of the boards, replace them with sliders on fly leads, and then fit everything inside the body of this guitar through these silly little ports that i put in the top that are hidden under the plates and there's no back plate, so you've got basically no access to the inside (laughs) of the guitar because i hate back plates like with a passion like this you struggle to find any guitar i've made that's got a back plate on it because i just they're always like freaking sausage shape or like some shape completely unrelated to the the rest of the guitar and it just it makes me unhappy. So no back plates on anything. All of the access is always hidden through the little ports under the scratch plate and stuff. But anyway, I kind mm-hmm. of went off on a tangent. So he had that to deal with as well. Uh, and I think I nearly <laughs> pushed it to the edge of a breakdown, but he, he pulled it off and he did an amazing, it's like incredible job getting all that, and it all works. So you've got like a master effects on, off, individual on, off for all the effects, and then all of the three parameters for each effect are controlled by the sliders, which are on the plate, which is where the same shape as my um like trem top plate. Mm-hmm. So where a trem would, would normally be uh and then the power comes up from the floor so rather than having to put batteries in it um there's a little box that you put in front of your tuner so right at the start of your your pedal chain and you use the stereo lead and it just sends the power up the third rail on the stereo lead to power the effects in the guitar so you don't need to be messing about with anything else that was super clever i thought yeah, that it's was really smart, really smart of him like yeah <laughs> Kudos mm-hmm. to deal for that one that was mm-hmm. he just kind of like tossed off the idea he's just like yeah we just do it with this little box i was like, is that really going to work? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it does. I was quite surprised. I thought it was going to be like horrible interference or something, but apparently not. I didn't notice anything. So, no. it,
0: and it's a P ninety in there. So, if there was going to be noise, we would get it, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh it's it's crazy, and it was it's, it was just weird to think about how small and weird this whole industry is, because there's a very very good chance that I did the machining on that case for the Mr. Black Reverb that he threw oh, really. in the garbage, <laughs> I'm assuming. Because <laughs> I, I go there like a couple times a month and just uh, help out and, and run the machines for for a
1: day or two. And, uh, oh man. <laughs>
0: yeah. So there's well, a good well, chance that, that I did that
1: case. <laughs> I hey, was maybe really scared not. about putting that one in yeah. there actually, because I sent an email through like the, the contact form on the website saying, Hey, I'm going to do this. And I didn't hear anything back. So I was like, I'm going to take that as, silent agreement that this is cool
0: (laughs) what that meant I can tell you what that meant is good luck (laughs) Uh, and we're not going to warranty (laughs) it if you mess it up (laughs)
1: it's a very smart position to take
0: but I actually do love that pedal uh, genuinely I think it's even if it was a big pedal Mm. it's one of the most versatile three knob reverbs ever I thought it was a great choice sounds
1: great I mean there's not many little three knob reverbs out there that run off like no power it, it's brilliant it's kind of does mm-hmm. everything you everything you want yeah
0: yeah and uh yeah the i've been it's a great it's a great selection of things that you put in there as well it's things that make sense like i i could see some people maybe wanting modulation or something but mm-hmm. i if i were to select the effects that would be on board it would have been some comp, something like that so those, oh, those were good choices yeah it's kind well.
1: of a i think i was thinking of like mogwai or explosions in the sky or like godspeed or stuff like that so like mm-hmm. like post-rock stuff where you can go from the kind of clean kind of like heavily delayed and reverb lines to then kicking in some fuzz and just going huge with it that's kind of what mm-hmm. i wanted to do yep it does that it does that <laughs> and have you worked a, out the um the feedback control on the fuzz yet have you deciphered <laughs> how how to make it make anything except sort of beep boop noises? oh yeah
0: definitely yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah, I figured that out pretty cool. That's I mean that's in my my wheelhouse of uh <laughs> of, king of noise boop. making. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes I want the beat boop, sometimes I don't. But I <laughs> I yeah, I was able to figure that out. Um it it did take me by surprise. I actually was expecting it to be a slightly tamer fuzz cuz I didn't mm-hmm. I wasn't super familiar with Neil's work uh before this showed up. And so I was expecting it to be a little a little more uh a little lower gain and a little, little less gnarly. So I was like, "Wow, this is really, this is a lot." And uh <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wrangling those type of beasts is is what I do. So I, I was able to get my head around it pretty quickly.
1: Um, it it interacts be... quite well with the volume as well. So if you back the volume off just a little bit, it starts to sound a bit more like a high gain distortion rather than a fuzz. And then you can sort of push the, the bias like wide open, so it becomes much more kind of like crunchy almost like ampy Mm than fuzzy and then if you wind the the bias back and push the volume back up to the maximum it gets much more sort of spitty and Mm -hmm. monophonic again
0: i love that they're all i've i've seen guitars with onboard effects and they're usually all on or all off and i love that you can pick which ones you want because what i like to do is like play some like prettier nicer passages and then click the fuzz on and just I'll yeah. just blow it all out and yeah uh, me too it's
1: <laughs> so much fun
0: <laughs> so yeah I'll be making some clips I haven't yet as oh, this cool. uh, re- recording goes out but I will be making some clips with it for the old social medias so if I haven't by the time this episode drops uh that would be very surprising I probably have made one or two by by the time this episode comes. oh out, that's so. cool thanks
1: well, I just, yeah. I'm glad you, I just wanted you to play around with it enjoy mm-hmm. it for a while so yeah,
0: I would sure. have done it last week when it showed up, but I was sick. No, so You're I right actually, now. I unboxed it on, uh, on Patreon, uh, what, while I was doing another interview, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the, the fellow that came on his, his name was John is John Schultz. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, hold, hold on DHL showing up and you know, it's raining outside. So let me go get this real quick. And. We paused and I I just had it sitting back behind me. He's like, so you're not going to open it? I was like, oh, I figured I'd wait till the podcast was over. He's like, let's (laughs) open it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) This is kind of weird for an audio format, but. So yeah, I unboxed it on there. I I don't think it was probably the best Patreon episode uh, after that (laughs) happened.
1: (laughs) So sorry. Did you go all ASMR with it as well and like leaning to the mic and taking the packing
0: material out? No, it was more like. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, just a second. It was more like that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever floats. Some people will be really into that. (laughs) Some people probably, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but yeah uh and immediately after I I, I felt like I was kind of coming down with something when we started I was like I don't feel very good maybe I'm just sore from working out or whatever and then it was like I was like not making any sense by the time the, the podcast was over oh, <laughs> so man. I, right. I got done and I was like I bolted the neck on that guitar and I was like I can't, I, I, can't, I gotta
1: go lay down. I'm I feel awful. Right I've done I've done much duty. I've done the, 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 the it's reassembled. as It's done. Yeah. Uh, oh, but man. what was the,
0: What was kind of incredible is it traveled all that way. I bolted the neck back on, strung it up to you know, uh, to be, or tuned it up to B rather. Perfect. Oh, like, good. That's, like that's flawless. Nice. <laughs> I was like, wow. I, I've yes. always had to adjust something, but it was like, no, this thing's dialed. After after that a rather intense trip overseas, so oh that job. makes me
1: very happy, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I feel some way okay. competent. That's um, that's a big tick. You should <laughs> so you much. should feel very confident. This
0: thing is really nice. It's outside of all of the the craziness. It's just a really nice guitar, man. Yeah, it that's really what I
1: wanted. That you could just turn all that stuff off, and it's just a nice one pickup guitar that kind of you can. It just makes like nice guitar sounds with a like wide frequency range, and it does quite a lot. And even before you start like flicking all the switches and stuff.
0: It also, for being 28 inches, uh, my first 28-inch guitar was my uh, Grez Mendocino, Mm. and I love that guitar, absolutely Yeah, they're amazing. Um, But it felt really long to me. It doesn't anymore, because I've played it so much, but initially it was like, oh, this feels lengthy. And maybe it's because I've gotten used to it a little bit, but this one felt, it felt a little more like a 27. And I don't know if that's just due to the body shape, or or if there was some thought into it, or it was a happy accident. But yeah, it works. I think
1: it's I think it's the body shape. The, the, I think the heel goes a bit further into the guitar than on the sort of the normal sort of normal scale so like 25 inch scale ones mm-hmm. i think it's pushed a little bit further in to try and keep it a bit more compact so i think when i first drew it it looked long it just looked like really long i mm-hmm. thought that's not going to be much fun so it's kind of you compromise the the upper fret access a, a little bit just to get the overall length down but i think i think you're right it feels a bit more a bit more right on the strap like when you reach mm-hmm. out for further towards the nut yeah
0: what is, was 28 on purpose? I mean, obviously it was on purpose. That's a stupid question. But like, why why not 27 or why not
1: a different? I'm just going to throw the frets to the guitar. To <laughs> just like the rocks? <laughs> yeah, microtonal, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was. it's just kind of a, a good halfway house. I think you can you can go to, like without having to get into sort of extreme strings, you can go to B or to C quite easily on that with a sort of medium gauge of sort of baritone strings. It's, it doesn't sort of get too fussy about it so i figured that was a good sort of middle ground so that people could then go wherever they wanted with it rather than being stuck in in one particular sort of pitch or or tuning
0: yeah i like it i like it yeah twenty seven, twenty eight, i think is pretty pretty ideal for baritones i've played 30s i'm like mm, almost a bass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's i think almost my short base. scale
1: bass is like 30, 30.75 so yeah basically mm-hmm. basically that
0: yeah exactly well, Hey man, I just realized this, this flew by and, uh, we're, we're approaching the end of the podcast no the main way. episode like anyway.
1: 53 minutes. Are you kidding? That's crazy.
0: I didn't, I didn't feel that felt like about 25. Uh, so I guess that's a sign that's a good episode, but before we wrap this up, I obviously, I like to ask classic questions at the end, but before I do, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor, plug anything you want to plug, shout out anybody you want to shout out, say hi to your grandma, whatever the case may be.
1: Uh, the floor is yours i would love to say that grandma aurum is listening but it's <laughs> probably probably not um uh what do you want to say uh, or neil that i uh, mentioned before shout out to him uh, NRG effects i think he's got a sale on at the moment he makes some amazing stuff uh, so go check him out um some of the bands that i work with there's a guy called richard dawson who's an amazing kind of i call it psychedelic folk and there's probably not the right word, but he had a record out this year called The Ruby Chord, which is incredible. The first track on it is 40 minutes long. It's probably not the best introduction to <laughs> Richard Dawson <laughs> ever. Maybe go back to his previous album, 2021, which is <clears throat> some more three to eight minute long songs, and then go on to the Ruby But that's an incredible record, as is the new live recording from Public Service Broadcasting that I work with that they recorded at Royal Apple Hall uh, yes. earlier this year. Um, which is called This New Noise, which is about sort of the history of the BBC and, and radio in Britain, which are really cool. Uh, it was a good show. I was there for it. Um, unfortunately, the snippet in between two of the songs where my partner, Rachel, dropped a plastic pint glass <laughs> on the floor just as the, or- <laughs> like the, the orchestra went silent, got cut oh no. from the final mix. But um, Jay, the front man, was kind enough to send me like a little just snippet <laughs> of that really like turned, <laughs> cranked again up on it so you it go... <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, that's a that's a a great record. Uh, and another artist that I'm working with, um, Era. So this E E R A, um, Anna Lena, um, Norwegian, living in Berlin, uh, makes incredible music. You should go listen to her last album, Speak. And she's just uh, got a crowdfunder going for her third album, um, which is going to be great. Um, and I've recently made a, a baritone for her as well, which she's she's already out using, and um, she's brilliant. So go check her out. Very nice. I think that's the first time anybody's
0: plugged a bunch of artists, if I can remember correctly. That's a good. That's a good call. I like that. I oh, listened thanks. to all those people. Now I got a list of people to check out. So thanks, man. <laughs> all right. First question. Here we go. What is your favorite boss pedal?
1: And that comes up a lot, but it is. It probably is the metal zone, but not not on guitar I had a little synth like rig going for a while um with like drum machines and stuff just to get like loops and patterns going and that mm-hmm. metal zone sounds amazing on like a monophonic synth because it's got that like the the mid sweep on it's like really wide so you can do like old school kind of like trance kind of like lead lines on it if you just like hold down a note and then sweep through the mids on a metal zone mm-hmm. and like um the band have you heard the band uh buttons? i don't think so no <laughs> so, <laughs> they're not they're not going anymore i think the guys have gone off and done other stuff now but um their their first couple of albums are definitely that kind of sound either synths or guitars that sound like sort of sustained notes where you just got these like sweep where they're just manipulating pedals in in real time nice like, it's not um easy listening <laughs> background i didn't using. imagine so but it <laughs> sounds like yeah. fun <laughs> it is cool. One of their tracks got played at like the opening ceremony for the Olympics in London, like however long ago that was, like a, a decade. So the track was called Olympians, so maybe they were kind of like <laughs> angling for that. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, Metal Zone for that. I've got. I've just picked up a, I think is it a PH2 phaser as well? Um, Very nice, Yeah. Which is like the one with the different modes on it and stuff, but it's got the expression input, because I've just built a, another baritone for someone. Um, I've done a couple of these now, but it's basically got an expression pedal, built into it um with what looks like a tremolo arm controls the expression oh so, so cool so it's actually through strung but but it looks like it's got a trem because it's got an actual trem arm that um kindly Chris Woof's descendant agreed to let <laughs> let me like disassemble one of his trems and just steal the collet and the arm off of it and it's kind of mounted to a gear system that's under the plate so you can plug that into a separate stereo jack stereo lead and then into the expression input on any external pedal and then use that arm to control control the parameters on any that's so effect. Sick. yes yeah cool. <laughs> i love that i
0: love that
1: so it's like oh, the next man. step from that one that you've got in that like it's not just the inbuilt effects you can control all your whatever output board stuff you mm-hmm. want to it's like attached to and there's, there's there's only two of them including one i've just made the other ones in uh germany um uh, and the guy who's got it, has got it hooked up to, I've forgotten what brand it is, but it's basically an expression splitter. So you can plug three expression inputs into one oh, yeah. controller and then use this arm to control like the parameters on three different pedals at the same time. So that's <laughs> mad.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. So that's it's phenomenal.
1: A, so yeah, I kind of, so that anyway, I bought that phaser to test that arm to see if it works. And it does, it makes some really weird noise. <laughs> that's so, so sick.
0: I love that. All right. Final question before we go to Patreon. Here we go. What is your favorite kind of pizza?
1: I'd I'd happily eat pizza all day, every day to the annoyance of my partner, who can never ask what we have for dinner. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Just always being pizza. Um, and it rarely, rarely actually happens, but, um, I think it would be like a thin thin crust Italian style thing. There's there's not that many like great um like kind of mid price places to eat out in Cambridge. It's a bit weird for that. It's, it's either just like kebabs or Michelin stars. <laughs> not much okay. between. But um there's a Italian place called um uh, Maurizio's, uh which is really good. The service is occasionally awful, but the food is always great. Um, and they do pizzas with uh, like friarelli, like the um, you know, the turnip tops and garlic, mm-hmm. and then like guanciale, like the the pig's cheek, and like yeah. spicy and, and 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 stuff like that. That that for me, just like a couple of good, like really good, like Italian ingredients that can have it with tomato, have it white. I don't really mind, but just yeah, just a couple of little toppings like that. That that's, sounds brilliant. That's mm. me. I want to go to New York as well. Cause I, I, I've got a feeling I'd love a, like a New York style pizza, but I'm, I've not been.
0: Yeah. It's a very different thing from what you're describing, but like, it's, it's an experience. I've said this a bunch on the podcast, but before I went to New York, I didn't understand the hype. I, I, I was kind of into pizza before then, like, like a normal person, yeah. you know, not like me now <laughs> that exists today. And, uh, I didn't really get it. I was on. I was like, oh, it looks like pizza. It just looks like pizza. I yeah. don't understand. And that as soon as we got there, started eating it, my whole life changed. I was like, ah, okay. And I went in skeptical. You know, I went in like not believing it, not buying it. Like this yeah, is just going to be pizza, whatever. And no, it's it, it it is. There's something that I don't know. Maybe
1: it's touched your soul.
0: It, it did. It's. <laughs> I've never been the same since. And my wife too. She kind of had. The same attitude is like, oh, this would probably be good. And we just, we both took a bite of Joe's and we looked at each other like, okay, all right. They're correct. We were wrong. This is special. So definitely do that for sure. Um,
1: There we go. That's my good excuse to go to Nam and then just turn it into a big holiday and end up in New York. New York, maybe
0: I can meet you in New Haven. We got to, I still got to get to New Haven. Oh, one of these days I will
1: get to New Haven. All right.
0: Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. No, I'm thank looking you. forward to what we can get into on, on Patreon. And yeah. Uh, yeah, this has been tremendous. I really enjoyed this chat.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks. Yeah.
0: All right, everybody. For Matt, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks. Thank you very much for checking out this episode. If you go over to Patreon, we get pretty weird over there. We dissect some things. We talk about some movies. We get into some just weird sci-fi topics and all kinds of other stuff. So if you would like to get into those conversations, those extended conversations, and help support the show and keep this thing going, please go to patreon.com slash tonemob, and for five bucks a month, you will get access to those, and you will also get access to the ad-free feed. So thank you very much to everyone who does that. Please share this with a friend. Share these episodes around. That is how this show keeps going. Please tell people about it. It is the only way... The lights stay on around here is if more and more people keep listening and finding it. And that is all very much thanks to you. All right, folks, I'll talk to you on the Internet very soon. I got a busy week ahead, but you will be hearing from me on the interwebs, I'm sure. All right. Take care. Bye bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com/stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings? So why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com slash StringJoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say, based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring and he makes it simple and his customer service is top notch. And I can't say enough good things about Gun as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com
2: and check them out. What's up, everyone? It's Joe, and I'm the host of That's Awesome with Joe, a podcast on the newly formed Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. I talk with tons of your favorite artists, managers, touring personnel, and more. Most of the time we talk about music, but lots of the time we end up talking about something completely unrelated. We laugh a lot. We do a lot of really stupid things, but also some things that are really informative and interesting. Basically, it's a podcast that I think you should listen to. Obviously, I'm biased because it's my podcast, but I think I might be into it if I wasn't the host. Check it out at SoundTalentMedia.com.